Hey guys, welcome to the Justify Your Existence podcast feed from the Daily Journal Podcast Network. You might have heard that JYE is undergoing a bit of a platform change, and that's true. Going forward, this feed will feature a discussion about the SEC from Parrish Alford and Dalton Middleton, as well as the great Ole Miss content that Parrish has been bringing you right here in this feed. And soon, Dalton will have exclusive Mississippi State features for you to listen and interact with as well. So hit subscribe. Give us a rating and leave us a review to tell us what you like about the show. And feel free to reach out with any questions or feedback through our email, digital at journalink.com. Call us, 662-842-2611, or direct message us on any of our social media feeds. Thank you from the Daily Journal. Now enjoy this episode of JYE. Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence. We're hitting the big topics, SEC, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. We're bringing it all to the table. I am Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. I'm the Ole Miss beat writer. I'm joined by our Mississippi State writer, Dalton Middleton. Dalton, how are you, man? Man, Parrish, I'm all right. You know, I'm pretty excited. I got me another, I think yours is about the same time, but we got us another 8 p.m. SEC basketball game tonight. You know how excited I am for that. Yeah, yeah, nothing like uh, the, the 8 p.m. game. I thought about you last night after our, our conversation. And the 8 p.m. game uh, for Ole Miss is number 10, Missouri. State's at LSU, is that right? Uh, LSU's at State. LSU's at State, so both both home games at least. Um, so we'll get uh, – won't, won't be too far to uh, to get back uh, to the house. But uh, late late starts, man, late starts. I, I don't know who's watching after, uh, after 9.30. I guess somebody is because they keep uh, – they keep starting them at, at eight o'clock after our conversation with Dave Neal yesterday. And, uh, and that was good. Uh, we, we had uh, the longtime uh, SEC play-by-play, uh, play-by-play man uh, as a guest yesterday. He had lots of good things to say. I really enjoyed uh, his comments on Nick Saban and how he thinks without saying it, that uh, Nick Saban has mellowed here at the end. So and who knows if it's the end? I mean, that was part of the conversation, how long Nick Saban's going to coach. But uh, mm-hmm. interesting uh, things there from Dave Neal. But he wanted us to both watch last night, uh, Dalton. And, and you remember as, as he was uh, leaving us, he said if we watched uh, the broadcast of uh, Vanderbilt and Auburn last night, that it would double uh, the the viewing audience. And, and I right. thought about you. And and uh, much as I appreciated Dave uh, uh, being on the show, I, I was – locked into Andy Griffith and Gomer Pyle at that time on, on me TV. I, I did not, uh, I did not switch over to Auburn and Vanderbilt. Can't tell you who won that game. Uh, yeah, I think Auburn won, but I didn't watch it either. So sorry, Dave. Uh, I know I told you I might come on there, but I'm sorry. I didn't watch it. Yeah, I did see, uh, I think Vanderbilt jumped out to an eight to nothing lead uh, in that mm-hmm. game. And that was when I, when I tagged you on, on Twitter, uh, but uh, anyway, it, it, it is basketball season, and I just sense, uh, uh, Dalton, a, a disinterest or a fluctuating interest uh, for our teams. It just seems that, look, I, I know people uh, get real excited for football, and in Mississippi, college baseball, and that's just around the corner, and we're going to talk some baseball coming up Friday. But I get the sense that uh, in Mississippi, people clock out of basketball faster than any other sport. I mean, if they're not uh, if they're not winning big, if they're not winning in the upper third of the division and and, uh, 
and, and really headed to the NCAA tournament. I just get the sense that uh, that people, at least Ole Miss people, will leave uh, basketball quicker than any other sport. Do you get that sense uh, at State? Yeah, to a certain extent, but also at State, I feel like people aren't really interested in men's basketball very often, especially not the last few years anyway. Um, you know, you're going to have some of the guys or some of the people that are fans and rooting for them, but I feel like you know, to go out and actually support the team in person and watch the games, there's never anybody at men's games. You know, they could they could be they could have Alabama's record right now, and um, you know, be nobody at the games. It, it it's really really weird to me, um, because the women's team is you know pretty pretty average this year, but they still probably have double or triple the fans that the men's game the uh, men's team does, and the men's team is probably right about the same you know level of mediocrity that the women's team is this year um but you you, you saw a couple times this year where the fan base starts to come out and then all of a sudden the, the then the guys lose a game that they shouldn't lose you know or the, they just lost really bad because you think you know they opened up sec play with a really good win over georgia and everyone was like okay this team might be all right then they lose to kentucky you know which is a game they should not have lost this year then they then they go on a, a like a three and one streak, or you know they go win three out of four, and all of a sudden they're looking at four and two. They have a chance to go. Uh, they should they could have been five and one there, you know six and zero oh if they beat Kentucky. Um, and then all of a sudden they they're hosting Ole Miss, which had been struggling up to that point, and everyone's kind of getting excited about the team again, and they lose by twenty something points to Ole Miss, and then all of a sudden they lose four in a row. And so the the disinterest, I guess, really just. To me, this, if the team is playing, is, uh, is undefeated and playing as well as they can be, people actually show up for the Mississippi State team. If, if they're, you know, winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, nobody's coming to support that. And that's what I see in Starkville. Well, you, you know, obviously it hasn't always been that way for basketball at State. You think back to those uh, Rick Stansberry years and, and how, you know, and Richard Williams before that, when he built that program, how packed and how loud – uh, and, and what a tough environment it was there at, at Humphrey Coliseum. Uh, Ole Miss, uh, look, it's just, you know, when, when they're winning, they're behind them. And, and you know, for all the talk of uh, Tad Smith and what a bad venue it was, and, and, and it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. Um, it was rocking, man, in, in, the, in the late 90s there when Rob Evans and, and then Rod Barnes really had it going. And then, and then Rod Barnes with the Sweet 16 team there in 2001. Uh, any venue, any bad old structure uh, has a certain charm about it when the home team is winning and winning consistently and winning big. And I think back uh, to those Ole Miss teams during that time, I was covering a, covering State at the time. And I can remember going there uh, as visiting media and just how crowded and how loud. And and uh, then you, you would have uh, the mascot who shall not be named, you know, Colonel Reb. <laughs> Uh, right. you know, rappelling down uh, from the rafters and then streamers. And then you would have uh, uh, the, the team uh, entering the floor uh, from the student section, which I always thought was uh, was a nice touch, taking the floor uh, from the students through the stands, coming down through the stands, uh, just a real connection uh, between those teams and the Ole Miss fans. And look, man, it's just, look, winning solves everything. Winning makes everything better. If you win, uh, people are going to turn out. And uh, you saw that with uh, Stansberry's teams there when, when they were, uh, you know, pretty in the hunt 
NCAA tournament mm-hmm. every year. Uh, if they didn't make it, they were close. I mean, those teams were winning and, uh, you know, lots of uh, excitement for those teams. Uh, the Rick Ray years were, were struggle uh, for state. And, and, and so you lost some of that momentum. But as far as success for the women, I, I think it, it goes back to that. And if, for the, the women's game, Dalton, they, they have to win even at a higher level. Uh, they right. have to win. It, you, you can't just be a team that makes the NCAA tournament on the women's side. You've got to be a team that is nationally prominent and goes deep in the tournament. And State had that under Vic Schaefer, and people turned out. The other thing is women's tickets are cheaper, okay? That, that's, that's, a big, that's a big part of it, too. But uh, I'll tell you, Dalton, I saw uh, people in Tupelo that were just – Never heard them mention women's basketball before, state fans. Never heard them mention women's basketball before. But uh, when Schaefer had that team rolling, man, they thought it was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Don't hear them mention them too much right now. But, right. Uh, you, you know, winning winning solves everything. And, uh, you know, from an SEC perspective, uh, we're so used to Kentucky winning and winning big and winning all the time. And, and it just doesn't really even matter who's on their roster and they keep winning. And we've seen John Calipari just trot out these dynamic freshman classes every year, the one and done guys, and they win and win and keep winning. And now they're not. And and they lost again last night to Arkansas, 81 to 80. And Kentucky is uh, five and 13. If you can imagine, it just seems strange to say that five and 13. And even uh, you alluded there earlier, uh, the position State could have been in uh, had they beaten that Kentucky team that they lost to in double overtime, and they lost also to Texas A&M before, I believe, the Ole Miss game. They could have been off. They would have had a 6-0 and start, a 6-0 and start in conference play with those wins uh, had they gotten them. But you've seen this Kentucky team live. Uh, what's, what's your take uh, on the Wildcats and why we see them right now at 5-13? and 13? You know, it's, it's kind of tough, you know, because I, I did see them, but they played really well when I did see them. Um, and, you know, the Dante Allen kid that they had that came off the bench, you know, hit seven or eight threes against State and just had a – he had, like, I think made two career shots in his – you know, ever, and then hit eight threes against State, of course. Um, and so they just kind of, you know, won that game in a double overtime, but – you know, you, you look at some of the other scores that they have, and it's just kind of um, kind of like a disconnect. You know, they, if they score in the upper 70s and 80s, you know, they usually win or it's a really close game. You know, if they if they don't touch 70, they're, they're getting beat bad. You know, they're getting beat by everybody that play if they're not scoring 65, 70. Um, and you mentioned the one-and-dones, and – they still have those highly talented freshman class there. You know, they still have four or five, five stars on that roster. Um, I just think that they're just, maybe they're not playing well together. I'm not sure if it's, you know, everyone's, if it's an ego thing, like, you know, I'm going to be the next Anthony Davis. I'm going to be the next John Wall over here. Or if it's just, you know, they're just not playing defense or what. Cause you know, you talk about some of these teams like LSU, who's the highest scoring in the SEC, you know, they're averaging about 81 points a game. There's a lot of games this year where Kentucky's allowing over 80 some points a game on defense. So it's, it's you know it's kind of like maybe they're just playing poor defense. I'm, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the issue is there. 
But um, but then again, whenever I saw them, they didn't look bad. And you can look at some of their scores, and the five and thirteen record can be not misleading, but like they're better than five and thirteen. I feel like because they've they've lost seven of the last eight right now, so they would have been what four and four and five, four and six at that point before that. Yeah, they they've um, had some games that could have gone the other way. You know, you have the every team has those every season. Yeah, I've read a little bit trying to figure out the Kentucky question. It seems like uh, they're not shooting the the three well, maybe except against Mississippi State, but they're they're under thirty percent. I mean, that's that that's not a good percentage in modern day college basketball. Uh, one of the things uh, that I read about this team, uh, one of the things that. Uh, has helped Kentucky be successful with these one and dones. When you're you're constantly teaching culture, you're teaching your system, you're constantly rebuilding, you're constantly bringing in uh, new people and parts and pieces. But the offset of that is they are extremely talented, and you live with that. And 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 that's your approach. That's that's what right. you that's what you're doing because you can do it because you're Kentucky. You can sign those guys every year but still you're, you're having to teach you're having to reteach a team every year one of the things that helps with that are these overseas trips those extra games you get in the summer those things like that kind of like an extra spring training for football well these basketball teams didn't have that this year okay so they didn't have that time to gel and they're still young Okay, and uh, they had maybe some abbreviated practice. I mean, they just maybe they had a COVID pause in there, but there was a certainly a disruption of uh, what is the the regular schedule, the regular time of preparation for college basketball. And and I, I think some uh, some Kentucky media who are kind of looking for answers themselves have, have kind of leaned on that. Well, it 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 was it has been a very different year, very different off season. A very young team look, looking for all these factors. You know, people listen to that and they think, well, you're making excuses. No, you're looking for reasons, <laughs> right. not excuses, not trying to excuse anything, uh, but the reasons. And I'll tell you, as far as the one and dones go in signing that level of talent, Kentucky's not the only team struggling right now. You look at the teams that, you know, the top five, uh, the teams with the top five recruiting classes last year, Kentucky. Duke, North Carolina. I think North Carolina is at uh, what twelve and six. Duke is less than that. Duke might not make the tournament. That's that's. Yeah, that's I think crazy. Duke is unranked for the first time in like almost eight thousand days or something like that. I think I yeah, saw. You know who else? Kansas. Kansas is unranked. Oh, it was Kansas. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but uh, it's it, it's it's different, and I just wonder, Dalton, if it isn't different because of the uh, NCAA just granting these waivers, throwing out waivers like candy and all these transfers uh, becoming eligible right away. And of course, the the one-time transfer rule, all these coaches, they say it's coming. And when it comes, it's going to change college athletics, football, basketball, baseball. Uh, they had been set to vote on that in January and did not. They tabled it. Uh, according to uh, an ESPN piece I read, there was no timetable after that. Uh, the sources they had for that story did not indicate a time uh, when the one-time transfer rule would be voted on, but these coaches believe it's coming. And I think kind of the way the NCAA has handled uh, eligibility, just 
giving everybody an extra year uh, during COVID, uh, just all of these uh, transfers, granting so many waivers, I, I think it it indicates a loosening. Uh, I think uh, the word they use is modernization of NCAA rules, not only with transfers, but imaging and licensing and things like that, uh, uh, allowing the players who can to gain something for the use of their, their image. All of these things coaches believe are coming. Now, they're, they're not written in the rules right now and don't know when they're going to be voted on. But uh, if you if that's the case and you have that one-time transfer rule and coaches start recruiting the transfer portal uh, the way they do uh, high schools and, and junior colleges and whatnot, uh, I think that uh, I think it's these one and dones that can take a hit with that. I mean, you you can take uh, these extremely talented freshmen, but when you uh, put them on the floor with uh, some pretty talented themselves, pretty talented returning players. And maybe maybe that team just needed to, to add one or two significant pieces and they were able to do that all of a sudden. So they become more experienced. I, I could see that, uh, I could see that kind of team uh, really, really being trouble for a group of, uh, of freshmen, no matter how talented. Yeah, I agree. And the, the point that, that I kind of want to make is going to be a little different than that, what you were kind of going on. But you, you mentioned kind of a loosening of the NCAA, uh, I guess, rules, um, if you want to put it that way, with the, with the eligibility. But you've kind of seen that, um, kind of seen it the past couple of years um, already with the kids transferring, because it just seems like any kid is transferring nowadays. The transfer portal, of course, is bigger than ever. And it just seems like every kid that's in the transfer portal has some reason that they put give to the NCAA that, allows them to be granted immediate eligibility. And you see that on about 95% of the kids and the 5% of the kids that don't get granted immediate, immediate eligibility are the ones that are going to Ole Miss. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. that's that's yeah. the way it is in the NCAA. And, and so, you know, you think about stuff like that and, um, you know, I kind of want to relate it to, to your team Ole Miss and, and the Otis Reese thing. You know, you had so many guys – you know, we've talked about Otis Reese the last couple of podcasts. That's why he kind of sticks out to me in this, and because he was such a big name in this. Um, you know, you have some of those guys. I can't think of anyone specific names right now off the top of my head, but all these guys transferring. You know, from from Ohio State to Miami, like Tate Martell, um, and all these guys that get granted immediate eligibility as soon as they leave for, you know, God knows what. Um, you know, whatever reason they want to give, and then all of a sudden. You know, Otis Reese transfers from Georgia to Ole Miss. I think that was his route. Um, and he sits out, what, seven games? And then all of a sudden comes back against State and puts up, you know, if he replicates it all season, all SEC numbers. And um, right. he, he sits there and think about that. And it's, it's just like I think the the one the, the one time transfer rule, uh, it, it'll impact college sports a lot. I think it needs to be enforced quickly because their ruling of how they do eligibility right now is completely unfair to some teams, how some players get it. Some players don't, even though they might have the same issue or bring up the same thing, you know, I want to be closer to some players might be getting granted eligibility for wanting to be closer to home. Also might actually have issues with the coach or something that they don't grant them. And, you know, I just think it's unfair. So, um, to some players that some players get it, some players don't. If you if you know what I mean, I'm not trying to sit there and complain about unfairness, but um I think when the rule gets implemented, it'll be better for everyone that's trying to transfer, but transferring is gonna be 
so much bigger than what it already is and gotten so much bigger in the last few years. And certainly there's a move to uh, a move by the NCAA to become more player friendly. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw that a couple of years ago when uh, the red shirt rule changed where you could uh, play in four games and and keep a red shirt. And I thought that backfired a little bit uh, when Houston didn't win its first couple of games. And all of a sudden, uh, Derek King says, I'm not playing anymore and and I don't want to lose this year of eligibility. Uh, I'm going to transfer. So I'm not going to play anymore. Well, it it wasn't that at the time. It was uh, they were. Yeah, he said he wanted to wait until next yeah, year where that would be better or whatever. Houston, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we'd never seen anything like that before, and uh, so uh, and ultimately he did transfer to, to Miami, and, uh, and I think he was granted immediate eligibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he did. Uh, so anyway, uh, a loosening of the rules. I, again, uh, the, the word I've seen is, is modernization. Uh, so interesting times. I do think. Uh, all of these things combined to make the one and done approach to college basketball recruiting less of a certain thing. And and maybe that's some of what we're seeing right now with these traditional teams, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas. It's not just Kentucky. Uh, I know uh, Ole Miss, uh, we we heard from uh, Robert Allen uh, in the Zoom call yesterday. And, you know, players are players. Dalton, they're talking about the NCAA tournament, like right down to the bitter end, even if they get to a right. situation where they have to win out the conference tournament. So he was talking NCAA tournament right now. And, you know, there's a month left to play. And uh, it, it's not time to count out the Rebels. Uh, they are, what, five and six now in conference play. Uh, they've, they had a good week, but uh, they had a good week when they beat uh, State and Texas A&M and came back and just were really flat in two road games. Right. And have to win more road games like they did against Auburn. Going to have to beat some better teams on the road if they are, in fact, going to play their way back into that conversation. But so much of it, of that conversation, hinges on tonight. Uh, you would have to get a another Quadrant One win, another big win against a ranked team as they did against Tennessee, and they have that opportunity tonight against Missouri. Now, Robert Allen says they're still playing for the NCAA tournament. I'm not all in on that yet. But uh, I, anyway, it's just, uh, it's, it's just a different thing, a different thing now uh, with uh, the, the loosening of, of these rules. It's going to change uh, the landscape. wanted to talk a little bit about uh, something I saw on Twitter last night. Uh, I did not see the Alabama South Carolina game. Uh, apparently, uh, the Gamecocks were shooting the tie uh, at the very end, and um, the players came out and ran a play that was not a three-point shot. And uh, anyway, a lot, long story short, Alabama won the game. Uh, South Carolina had a chance to tie, and and at the very least, did not run uh, the play that uh, uh, Frank Martin sent in. And uh, I was reading a quote from from Frank Martin that was posted online by David Kleining, Kleininger, uh, who covers for the Charleston Post and, and Courier. Uh, and Martin's quote says, uh, we ran something where there were three different options for a three-point shot. Instead of running what we were asked to run, we just kind of, and, and, and then there was a pause, and he said there was just no mental connection with the situation. All right, so... Frank Martin is going to be going to be held responsible for that loss. 
Okay. Right. It's going to go on his record. Ultimately, he's going to continue coaching at South Carolina or he'll be fired. And ultimately, and I, and I don't think know that it's this season. I don't have any idea uh, where Frank Martin is lining up in that conversation with them right now. But coaches are, are going to be held responsible for wins and losses. But when you have a group of guys, and you could just see Frank Martin in the huddle. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's one of my favorite coaches to cover, favorite opposing coaches, because he's so real. He's what you see is what you get. And, you know, sometimes he could be a screamer and a cursor, and they've had to rein him back in and some things like that. And uh, but, but he's just a very genuine person. So you could just see him in the huddle, eyes uh, connecting with his players and, and uh, drawing up these plays, going over option A, B, C, and, and then uh, how frustrating it must have been uh, for uh, the guys to go out on the floor and you see something totally different. It's not even three point shot. It's not even, it's nothing close to what was drawn up and what was just laid out in the huddle. So my question to you is, were these players coached? Were they coached? I mean, how can, you know, how can you hold uh, Frank Martin responsible? Now you can hold him responsible for everything else that happened in the game. Okay. Right. And uh, there were, there were other opportunities, no doubt. But uh, when you're going to, when coaches are, are fired and hired uh, because they don't get a certain result, you know, on a play like this, were those guys coached? And I say, yes, they, they were coached. At some point, uh, there is a responsibility that should be uh, held by the players. Yeah. And, you know, in this example, it's kind of weird to me. I'm sitting here trying to think of, I didn't see the play. I'm trying to think of, what could have possibly led to that? You know, if they had a timeout and they drew up this play and all these players are in it and then all of a sudden they go out there and they have multiple, I think you said three in the quote, um, three chances at a three-point shot and nobody takes it. They end up running a two-point play, don't get it, Allen wins. Like, I'm curious, like, in that coaching huddle, did, was it made clear to the players that this was going to be a three-point, like – the players don't know the score. Uh, I know that can happen sometimes when you know, you're in the heat of it, but like during that play, is it not made clear that, you know, Hey, we're running a three point play. Cause if three, if there was three options to, to take a three point shot and no one did, and they worked towards the inside or work towards getting that two point shot or that, you know, the, the mid range jumper or something like, I'm wondering if there was just a disconnect or if he didn't make it clear or if literally all five of them had no idea what the score was and were just out there shooting around. I mean, I'm kind of curious about that um, because I, I, I didn't see the end of it. I didn't get to see the play or anything, but, um, you know, you kind of, it was, it was probably half coach, half player thing right there. But, you know, looking at that score in that game, it seems like Frank Martin did a heck of a job coaching that game. Cause you think of South Carolina's last game was against state. They got beat by 16 against, against state at home. And then they lose to by three points to number what ten or eleven or Alabama. They've lost one SEC game all year. Yeah. Um, so obviously he did a good job coaching that game or taking advantage of mismatches or doing whatever he can to be even in that game with Alabama after the way they played against State last weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of st- stuck on that one. Like I don't understand. Uh, I don't know who to put the blame on because I'm sitting here trying to wonder if it was just maybe one player didn't take the shot and then he was like, oh, this person can take the shot. That person didn't take it. This person will. And they didn't. And then all of a sudden you're out of time and just throw up something. Um, I think there is a time for players to take responsibility. 
Uh, right. I'm a guy who likes to see responsibility go to the players when, when appropriate. When I try to think back to when I was uh, uh, 19, 20, 21, you know, Dalton, I I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't terribly naive or or you know I, I kind of I knew some things. You know, I knew a few things at, at that age. I knew right from wrong. I, I knew how to get some things right. done. I, you know, I, I could be somewhat of a problem solver. Um, I didn't know near as much at 21 as I knew at 31 or as I knew at 41 because that's a part of life. Life experiences, man, they teach you, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's a part of it. But, but I knew some things at 21, and, and I just believe I would have known that in that situation, we had to have a three-point shot. Had to. Right. And I, I, think I, I find I, it kind of hard to believe that, that. Yeah, and I, I find it kind of hard to believe that. You know, I'm kind of with you. You know, the players, if it, I mean, sounds like the play, one of the players need to step up and take responsibility on this, in my opinion. But, like, I really kind of find it hard to believe that a coach as talented and, and as good as Frank Martin is not making it clear that they're down by three points or drawing a three-point play, especially if there's – three different if especially if he says there's three different options in that play for them to take the three-point shot obviously there was something ran where that was going to be the the outcome it just didn't happen so yeah it sounds like there was a there was a miscommunication or like he's like in the quote disconnect in the players and something and then all of a sudden it just kind of unraveled as the time got closer and closer to zero i'm sure and i don't know well i'll tell you what um Again, I have no idea where uh, uh, Frank Martin stands as far as uh, I, I can't believe that they would be uh, getting rid of him at the end of the season. Uh, but coaches are, are fired for that, and, and uh, you can't fire the players. <laughs> you, right. can't, you can't fire the players, and that's just uh, the structure of college basketball, of, of college athletics, and, and the way it is. So, uh, you know, I, I was noticing the comments uh, after that, and, and uh, some of them were, hey, players got to take responsibility, and and uh, the others were, hey, it's, he's a coach. And he's responsible for the product on the floor. And I'm thinking, yeah, but in this situation, those guys were coached. I think the only thing that that I could I could hold Frank Martin accountable for on that play is that for whatever reason, however it broke down at the end, he did not connect with his players. They right. did not. They did not fully understand. You know, so I don't know. It, it Hard to hard to put that one on Frank. <laughs> All right, folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence. We thank you for clicking in with us today. Be sure to check out our work at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Mississippi State and Ole Miss pages and just watch the stories flow. We're on Facebook as well. Mississippi State discussion with Dalton Middleton and Ole Miss discussion with Paris Alford. Lots of good things there. Folks, thanks for being with us. We'll be back Friday. Come join us.